All right, we are continuing our study of Acts chapter 4 here on the Listener's Commentary. And in this recording, we're going to be looking at the last chunk of this story that began in chapter 3, verse 1. This chunk that we're looking at is going to be Acts 4, 23 through 31. And this chunk is the response of Peter and John, as well as the believers in Jerusalem, to what happened to Peter and John when they preached in the temple. And so we need to remember that this is really the first moment of direct opposition and hostility by the Jerusalem leadership to the apostles and to the church. And that's important because it helps us see how they respond to this here early on as the new followers of Jesus the Messiah. So let's review the context. Peter and John, uh, the previous day, had healed a man who had been lame from birth. This man was more than 40 years old, and they met him in the temple and healed him. That led to people gathering around Peter and John, which Peter and John seized as an opportunity to witness to Jesus and his resurrection. That witnessing and speaking in the temple then led to Peter and John, as well as the lame man, being arrested and put in prison overnight uh, by the uh, leadership, the temple authorities, the Sanhedrin, spending a night in jail, and then being brought before the whole gathered council the next day. And once again, that provided an opportunity for Peter and John to witness to the name of Jesus and the power of Jesus who healed this lame man and who has the power of salvation. All of that then led to the authorities issuing really a official order, a gag order on Peter and the apostles to say, you can't preach anymore or teach anymore in the name of Jesus. Well, Peter and John ended all of that by saying, look, you've got to decide whether we should obey God or you, but we're going to keep obeying God by speaking and teaching what we've seen and heard. That's where the story left off. Here's where it picks up then in verse 23. It says this, And when they had been released, so they've now let them go. They've sent them on their way. They gave them this order. They issued more threats because they could see the, the unwillingness of Peter and John to really heed the order, but they had no official means to punish them. So they let them go. They released them. Um, and Peter and John went to their own companions and reported everything that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So they go and gather back with the other apostles, with the other believers, and they say what happened. Here's what happened, man. And they tell the whole story, how they spent the night in jail, how the uh, authorities then brought them before the Sanhedrin and interrogated them and how they responded. They just related the whole account of what happened and how it culminated with this gag order to no longer speak in the name of Jesus. So what do they do in that moment? Well, it's, it's instructive to us what they do and what they don't do. The first thing they, they don't do is they don't gather together as leaders and have a strategy session. They don't gather together and plan, okay, how are we going to speak this word to avoid authority? Should we move out of Jerusalem? They don't do any of that. What they do is they gather together and they pray. That's their response. They pray to the threats of the Jerusalem authorities and in the face of this order, they pray. Look at verse 24. 
when they had said this, when they had related what happened, they raised their voices to God with one mind and said, and so the group of believers, they raised their voices. We are in unison on this. We're in sync on this. We've got to keep speaking about Jesus. That's the commission he gave us. The, the authorities are opposed to us. There's now official order against us, but it's not going to stop us. And so with one mind, they raised their voices to God and they said, and here's their prayer, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything that is in them. And so they begin by acknowledging God's his sovereignty and his kingship and his power. The word translated Lord here is not the usual word for Lord. The usual word is kurios in Greek. This is the word despota. It's actually the word we get our English word despot from. But the English word despot is... Uh, consistently negative, right? It always has negative connotations, a tyrannical despot. That's not the sense of the Greek word. The Greek word simply means one who has absolute control, who the one who has complete sovereignty, who's totally in charge. That's the idea. It's Lord, it's master, the one in charge. And so they acknowledge, look, these authorities, they're at one level in charge, but you, O oh Lord, you're ultimately in charge. You're the one who's completely in charge. And so they acknowledge God's complete sovereignty and kingship. They tie that to his fact that he's the creator over everything. It's you who made the heavens, the earth, and the sea, and everything that's in them. You're, you're the one that made all of this. You're the Lord and master and sovereign ruler because you made it all. And that's consistent in biblical theology that, uh, that God is king and God is the sovereign Lord because it all belongs to him. This is all his and it's all his because he made it. He made it. And so he's in charge. So they acknowledge God's power, his sovereignty, his kingship. And then they go on in verse 25 and say, who by the Holy Spirit. So now they're attributing what's about to be said to God through his spirit, who by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father, David, your servant said, and they're going to go on and they're going to quote from one of the Psalms, Psalm chapter two. But notice before they, before we look at that, that they attribute Psalm chapter 2 to be the word of God uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit and spoken through the mouth of David. That, that's, that helps us understand how they understood the scriptures, how they viewed them. Is they have a, a human component, David, and they have a divine component, God, through his spirit. And so the scriptures are ultimately God's word because he He's the one that inspired it. He's the one that oversaw it. And so this word from Psalm chapter 2 is a Psalm of David, but it's ultimately the word of God. And so who by the, uh, through the mouth of David, your servant said, Psalm chapter 2, why were the nations insolent and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So they quote this passage from Psalm chapter 2 that was really a, a kingship psalm. It seems that in the context of Psalm 2, we're talking about the coronation of a king. And in the coronation of a new king in the ancient world, it was a common time for for other countries and people to revolt against that king and test him out. And so that's the backdrop for this psalm in its original context. Now here it's being applied to 
the ultimate anointed one. Kings were anointed. The word Christ means anointed one, Messiah, anointed one. And kings were anointed, and Jesus is king. He's the ultimate Christ. He's the ultimate anointed one. So they're taking the psalm and applying it to their circumstances because it's, it's true of him, just like it was true of any other king that was being spoken about in Psalm chapter 2. And the point of Psalm chapter 2 is that those attempts to revolt against God and against his anointed king were doomed to fail. And so here, as they begin their prayer, they quote this passage back to God and say, God, that's true again. Here's your anointed king, Jesus. And yes, it's a, it's, it's a coronation has happened. And now people are rebelling against him as king, just as the psalm said would happen to those kings. It's happening again to your ultimate and true king, Jesus himself, Messiah, the Christ, the king of kings. And so why are the nations insolent? Why do the kings of the earth take their stand? Well, they're going to apply this now to their circumstances. So look at verse 27. For truly in this city, here in Jerusalem, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. So the word Christ from the psalm and the word anointed are related words. Christ means anointed one. And so it's tying all this together. So here's Jesus, whom you anointed, O God, as king. And there are people gathered together against him, both Herod, this is Herod Antipas, and again, you read the, the accounts of Jesus' trial, his ministry. I mean, earlier on in his ministry, he was opposed to Jesus. At his trial, he was opposed to Jesus. So Herod was uh, uh, arrayed against Jesus. Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman governor of the region. And so you have this king who's technically over Galilee. You have Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. There, along with the Gentiles, meaning all the other Romans that were involved in opposition to Jesus and the peoples of Israel, the very leaders, some of these very ones that Peter and John just came back from standing before, they were arrayed against your people. So just like in the Psalm, there are people that are uh, the nations, the Gentiles, they're insolent. The peoples are plotting in vain. Notice that we have nations, nations and Gentiles are the same word. And so we've got Gentiles and then we have the peoples of Israel. We're connecting all of this to the Psalm there in verses 25 and 26. And so just like that Psalm said, the Gentiles and the peoples are now opposed to your King Jesus, but you're still sovereign, O God. And they carried out their ungodly, unrighteous plans, but in doing so, verse 28, they did whatever your hand and purpose predestined to occur. So you used them and their choices and their insolence and their opposition to achieve your purposes because you're the sovereign God. And we've seen this already in Peter's speech in sermon in Acts chapter 2. We see it here, this, this blending of human responsibility and divine sovereignty, that divine sovereignty never negates human responsibility, and human responsibility is never out from under the ultimate authority of the sovereign God himself. And so we have that here. They acted in their insolence and in their opposition and their hostility to, to carry out these awful things, but God is sovereign and he used it for good. And so, verse 29, they now, with all of that as kind of set up, they ask God to do something, verse 29. And now, O Lord, look at their threats 
That's the first thing they want God to do. Just pay attention to their threats. Um, the threats of those who are opposed to Jesus and thus opposed to them. The threats of the Sanhedrin who are conspiring and plotting together against the Lord and against his Christ. So pay attention. That's what they want. That's their first request. Just pay attention to their threats. See them and implicitly then, as you see them and take note of them, that means that you take note of, right, the apostles and the church and us, right? Like take note of their threats and us who are being threatened against. And then the next request is, and grant to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. That word confidence there is the same word that we talked about uh, in last our last recording that's tra- translated more freedom of speech and boldness, this courage to be frank and say what needs to be said um, when it needs to be said. And so instead of asking for protection, right, they're asking that we're going to actually do the very things we told them we were going to have to do. We were going to keep speaking in your name and we want to be able to do it with boldness and courage and freedom and frankness. We want to speak the message about Jesus. And so grant to your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. That's the request. Take note of their threats. Give us boldness to speak your word. And then he goes on in verse 30 and he says, while you extend your hand to heal. This phrase, I think, is helpful to us because it was the miracle that led to all of this events taking place, right? The healing of that lame man led to all of this. And notice the way it's worded. Um, it's, it's really a participle phrase that seems to get at the idea that they don't just assume God's always going to heal, that they're always going to have the power to heal, that they can always do miracles. In this particular case, they did, and God's uh, anointed them and given them the power to heal. And so, Uh, They say, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And so that's how they end their prayer with this, with this, while you're giving us the power to do these miracles and to draw attention to the name of Jesus, give us the boldness to keep using these miracles to point to Jesus, not to ourselves, not to, right, to none of that, but to the name of Jesus, as they have done through this whole story, that they pointed to the name and the greatness and the power of Jesus. And so that's their prayer. They, their response in this moment is to pray. They ask God to, to act in these ways, to give them boldness, And here's how God responded, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. There was a shaking of the place, a visible phenomena, right? A physical phenomena that God heard their prayer and he was going to act on their behalf. And so the place where they were gathered in some way was shaken. And notice they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, all of them. And they began to speak the word of God with all boldness. There's that word again, frankness, freedom of speech, boldness. And so they were all uh, filled with the Spirit and they went out preaching and speaking about Jesus with all boldness. And that, that really seems to be the theme that Luke wants to drive home from this whole story, uh, that The name of Jesus is this name that's worthy to be exalted, that they healed this man in the name of Jesus, that Peter explained to the crowd in the temple that it was the name of Jesus that made this man well. When he stood before the Sanhedrin, it was the name of Jesus that healed this man, Um, that they 
They did this in the name of Jesus, and there's no other name by which we must be saved except the name of Jesus, and they end this by speaking the name of Jesus, and they did so with boldness. In fact, three out of the five times that the word boldness is used in the entire book of Acts show up in this story. And uh, what Luke seems to be emphasizing in all of this, as you bring all of that together, is that What made the early church so powerful and so effective in their ministry and mission for Jesus was the fact that they proclaimed the name of Jesus and they did so with boldness, with frankness, with freedom of speech. Even when there were risks at play and there were threats uh, hanging over them, they still proclaimed the word of God with all boldness. And that boldness here in this episode comes about through the power of the Spirit in response to praying for it, that they humbled themselves before the great king. They prayed, and God blessed them and answered their prayer by giving them boldness. And what strikes me is they didn't pray for protection. They didn't pray for God to, you know, do something to their opponents and those who'd given them threats. Even like in the Psalm, Psalm 2, there's more of that, like God to strike them down and to write to to break them, right? You see that in Psalm 2, but not here. Here, just take note of their threats, God. Pay attention to that. We'll let you deal with that. And would you give us the the boldness to keep speaking in your name? And God did. And that's what made them so powerful and so effective is that they, they had the power to proclaim the name of Jesus boldly. And it really sets, I think, a powerful example for us that we God's people today, the church today, should, like them, humble ourselves before the sovereign hand of God, uh, calling out on his name, praying to him, so that we might speak the word of God, just like they did, with all boldness.